If y'all will keep those thoughts in mind and bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we are thankful that you care about our anxieties and about our worries, um, but that you love us enough to provide us a way above those. Um, you provide us something greater to think on, a greater love and security than the things that we are um, so anxious and worried about. Lord, I pray that today, as we look at your word and your truth, we are reminded of your character and your promises to us, um, of the person that you are to each and every one of us in here, the calmer of our minds, the lover of our hearts, Lord, I pray that I speak your truth in that alone. Um, we pray for open hearts as we just examine the things that are on our minds and the things that should not be. Lord, we're thankful for this space that we get to just carve out time and come and gather and learn about you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So has anybody ever had anything that they're so anxious and worried about and yet you're telling somebody and they could care less? Raise your hand. It's pretty annoying, is it not? <laughs> You're like, wait, this matters so much to me. Something for me that I get pretty anxious and worried about is my hair. Um, any girl out there get nervous about going to the hairdresser? Yeah. Natalie knows I send her many a text, many photos. Oh, this, maybe this. Oh, this light. Oh, this dark. Maybe this brown. Oh, but maybe this blonde brown or brown blonde or this bob or wavy or this and Y'all are laughing, and some of this sounds like mumbo-jumbo to the guys out there, right? Like, you can have all of those different options. <laughs> Bla like, blonde brown is different than brown blonde. It is. <laughs> Let me tell you, and something that um, causes so much anxiety in me, I have to laugh when my friends remind me that it's just hair. They text back, and they're like, Katie, it's really okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. The photo that you show the hairdresser is not going to be a source of happiness at the end of the day for you. But for some reason in my head, I think that it is going to matter. It's going to cause me to either cry or be happy in that moment. And it's something that I think I want everybody else to stop what they're doing and just respond to me in that moment. But sometimes I think it's funny because I think that Jesus is kind of looking down at me and saying the same thing. It's just hair, Katie. It's just a test, it's just for a short season, it's just a meal, it's just a small thing to look over. It's just not of heavenly importance. Maybe it's just me teaching you, or me loving you, or just me keeping you close. We don't like to hear this though, as I was saying. We like to be validated in our worry. Anybody like when somebody is like, yeah, yeah, you should be worried about that, yeah, that's good. Let's keep talking about it. Until somebody shuts us down and says like, stop. You don't need to be worried about that. We like to be validated in our worry, but what if God is so patiently trying to command us that we've been getting it wrong? My aim today, after looking at our passage in Luke 12, is to encourage you, just as Christ does his disciples in this passage, that the things of the world just really, really won't satisfy you. Um, my hair will not leave me happy for the rest of my life, right? The things that you're so anxious and worried about, that test, an A on it, is not going to provide satisfaction for the rest of your life. We like to keep up, have enough, be enough, but we must renovate our once anxious minds to imagine, to image Christ better. Having a clear mind, an assurance of direction with the Holy Spirit, ample space and action for his name, not our own. So we're going to put up a slide behind me of two main things that I'm going to kind of weave into the discussion today. If you get anything from what I say in and out of the like scares that Rob experienced last time, it's these two things. In our scheme of happiness, the maker has been overlooked. 
and we must find a way for our faith to outweigh our worry. Who would like it if their faith actually outweighed their worry in most cases? Rob went up. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Validation. So we're going to continue in the passage for today in Luke 12, if y'all will turn there with me. We're going to see a gracious Jesus remind disciples once again of the things that matter and the things that don't. We're going to be starting in verse 22. It'll be behind me as well. And he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now I feel like I could honestly speak a whole session on this verse alone. Anybody know this verse by heart? Or moms text you all the time, Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I have so many life experiences and stories where this verse has resonated with me. But as I was preparing for this, I found it cool that the Lord didn't just stop here. He didn't just say, don't be anxious, and provide no steps to do that. How frustrating would that be if he said a commandment, and yet we don't know how to do that? I fail at not being anxious. You fail at it. We all fail at it. And how cool it is that Jesus went a step further to talk through with his disciples how to actually combat these feelings. In Putting an X Through Anxiety, a book that I've been reading, the author states the key to living untangled from anxiety is not in a plan, but in a person. We read self-help books, articles on how to stop anxiety, write out our thoughts in order to process them. But see, we're still seeking a plan and a process versus the person. And so if we get anything out of today, I want to encourage myself and y'all as well that we've been looking in the wrong places. We have to look to him and not a plan. We're going to keep reading in verse 24. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span of his life? If you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? There was a thought that came to mind as I was reading this passage. How did Jesus actually know his disciples were anxious? Is anybody good at hiding their anxiety? Sometimes, actually. I don't know. <laughs> Some people. Who's terrible at it? Like, people know if you're stressed. Yeah. <laughs> I can be both. But it's so amazing that the Lord knew his people. He knew that they were anxious. He knew that he needed to speak on this with them. He knows that today, in this moment, the people in this room need to hear a message about this. I think it's cool that the Lord is so personal with his disciples and therefore us as well. The word used in verse 26, the verb anxious, literally means to care about, to tend to, to be troubled by, to have a divided mind. In other versions, the phrase reading, be not distracted. Anybody come into this room a little distracted? It's okay to be honest. I probably was. McKenna was. She had to change a tire. A little distracted. <laughs> it means to have our thoughts running this way and that. So what exactly is Jesus saying to take our troubles off of then? What do we need to tend less to? What do we need to stop caring about? To not be distracted by? What does it practically look like for us in this room to not worry about the cares of the world? Because like I said, I feel like we have been failing at this, and we continue to. Looking briefly at the parable right before this passage in verses 16 through 21, if you want to turn, just look up above in your Bible. Um, 
Jesus explains this parable of the rich man right before an exhortation about how to not be anxious, and I think it provides an interesting insight into what we're talking about. Pick up in verse 16 with me. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of the rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build a larger one, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to them, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. How many, if you were honest, would act like this rich man? Oh, I got too many goods. I need to build a bigger home. But honestly being excited about it, right? Who doesn't really like a bigger house? Yeah, maybe a nice, nice home, an upgrade, more goods to fill. We worry when we don't have enough, but then like this man, we worry when we have too much. <laughs> so when does the worry stop? We worry when we aren't worrying about anything. Anybody feel that way? You go into a Monday and you're like, wait, why am I not stressed? What am I forgetting? <laughs> Something's coming. We talk about our friends and we say, wait, why are you not worried about that? You should be. We egg on other people's worries instead of encouraging them in the opposite direction. Like I said, I am bad at this. We honestly live in worry and like to live there sometimes. So looking back at this parable, why would the man not want to live in abundance? So much so that he needed to build himself a bigger barn, having enough to simply coast. Happy as, as can be because his barn was full. No more work to be done, no one to report to, no one to lend to, no one to tend to. It was the good life, the easy life. Just like this man, sometimes I feel like we want ample money to put away, to pull from, to make us happy in life. Goods to simply supply our worldly addictions, to sustain our worldly loves that we're so addicted to. We want that retirement of ease type of life that the media sells us. Now, don't go to sleep on me as I talk about retirement, because all of these things are applicable to us today. We strive to store up enough happy moments from our weekends in order to sustain us through the school week. Anybody do this? I just need to get to the weekend. I'll be happy then. Right? Thursday night, y'all are in a better mood than Monday morning. <laughs> we, can, we can see it. We seek to have enough outlets to satisfy our hunger for attention, ample activities to make us laugh, an abundance of likes on social media to go a few more weeks feeling merry about ourselves. Remember verse 19 stated, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Like this man, we crave to feel okay, whether it's financially, family-wise, profession-wise. We want this ultimate feeling of having enough. In this never-ending quest, though, to find peace and rest, we must remember that in our pursuit of happiness, like I said earlier, we forget the maker. Our lives cannot become confident in a complacent comfortableness. That's a tongue twister, but let me say it again. Our lives cannot become confident in a complacent comfortableness. If I'm honest, I seek that a lot. I like to be comfortable. I like to know everything's okay and there's nothing coming on the horizon that will shake me up. Anybody like that? You ask somebody and they're like, wait, I'm actually not anxious about anything. Everything's good. And in my selfish mind, I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> Can I be like you, please? 
God, who in this rich man's scheme of happiness was overlooked, thought it fit to show him the folly that he was pursuing. God responds here saying, fool, for a reason. It's to rebuke this skewed idea of the good life that the rich man had, that we have, that society has. I don't know about you, but I do crave days off. Days where I don't have to tend to anybody. Days where I don't have to lend to anybody. Days in which I'm not overwhelmed by the thoughts in my mind. I don't think that I'm alone in this. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I feel like most of you would say the same thing. I'm not saying to shut down fully. We must always be open to what the Lord has for us on our days off. Our hearts are not to be unwilling to be active for God's work. We are not allowed to say, not today, Jesus, but maybe when my soul has ample goods, I'll be better and ready for you then. What if we were to say that? In a commentary by Matthew Henry, he provided a simple and profound statement imaging God's response in verse 20. Thy soul shall be required. That's a pressing thought. Thy soul shall be required. Today, tomorrow, it was required yesterday. It's required when you're 20, when you're 60, when you have a lot, when you don't. There's not a day when we will come to this point when we're not supposed to be on for the Lord. So, but if we accept this truth, and we know that we're supposed to make our days count, each and every one of them, not being anxious or distracted by the world, then I kind of start to get anxious about that. I don't know about you. Man, this way. Um, If I'm supposed to make my days count, not think about the things of the world, my mind goes crazy and says, Lord, I don't know how to do that. That's stressful to me right? So now we're stressed about our stress, and it's just this cycle. How many days, though, do we waste in our minds nervous about things that we honestly cannot change, exhausting all of the scenarios of a certain thing, distracting others with our worries? I have failed at this, and you have failed at this. But it's because we've tried on our own account to not be anxious, forgetting that we have somebody to teach us to let our faith outweigh our worry. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Proverbs 3 with me. I'll be reading 5 and 6. Some of you probably have this committed to memory. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So how will we aim to make our paths and minds straight and less distracted? We have to run to him, the person, not as quick as we run to our plan to fix it. Jesus sensed his disciples' anxiety as well as our own in this passage as we begin to realize that we actually have to change the way we've been living, realizing there's a need for a reset in our minds. Jesus seeks to remind us that there is actually beauty in holiness, though, and not craving the luxuries of an off type of life, assuring us that we are to have a faith that should actually silence our worry. I know that I see others who have that type of faith, and I'm like, wow, I want that. But I can have that. (laughs) So can you. We'll continue reading in verse 27 and also be right behind me. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what 
that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and those things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for there your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Jesus is gracious to respond to his disciples' anxiety in this positive manner of what it actually should look like to not live in the folly of the world. Not worried about money, wealth, or the simple pleasures of this life. We're reminded of a few things that will be behind me as well um, that I think can help us reset our minds. First, God's promises will hold true. Secondly, our faith matters to Jesus. And third, we must be active in our pursuit of heavenly treasures. I'll give you a minute to write this down, but it will also be here. First point, God's promises will hold true. In order to know that God's promises will hold true, we actually have to know God's promises, correct? We can't know if it came true without knowing what the promise was. In this passage, we're met with an idea of worry and God's promise to ease our worries. The ravens and the lilies aren't even conscious of God's provision and love, and yet they rest easy, knowing that their physical needs will be met. How much more should we rest in him having known him personally, knowing his promises? He tends to his creation, and that includes you and me. Louis Giglio stated in that book that I said I was reading, It is God who gave us our first breath, and it is God who gives every breath. So it is God who can give calming breath to those who are crumbling under the weight of worry. Flip to Acts 17 if you have your Bible. Verse 25 reminds us, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Second point, our faith matters to Jesus. Has anyone ever thought about this? The state of my faith matters to my Savior. Whether I'm having a day in which I'm fully assured of my faith, whether I'm having a day in which I'm hanging on by a thread to the faith that I thought I had, that matters to him. See, he calls us out when we aren't showing the true type of faith, the assurance of what I was talking about. He wants our faith to outweigh our worry. More so, he wants us to know that it must be this way, to live a life unafflicted by the worries of the world. We can't beat the worry without faith. Matthew 14, 31 reminds us of this. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? He is concerned and mindful of our faith, so we should be as well. Our rest and okayness coming from a peace in our relationship and place in the kingdom, not on our lack of things to worry about in a given week. Third point, our action must show where we lay our treasure. An interesting quote I found while I was preparing for this, it sat heavy with me, so it might as well with you, but I think it's worth sharing. Death either unites people with their heavenly treasures, which can be never taken away, or it deprives them of everything. That's crazy. Death either unites people with their heavenly treasures, which can never be taken away, or it deprives them of everything. 
I don't know about y'all, but I would love to not have things taken away from me. It's sad when you think that you've built this life, built this home, have this barn, and then the Lord says, nope, I'm going to take that. How cool would it be to enter into heaven with all of the things that we have learned and valued in his kingdom and knowing that that will never end. We will never be deprived of heavenly treasure. So what are you allowing to become your treasure right now? Are you seeking a house full of money, possessions, endless photos, concert videos on your TV, fancy cars in the driveway, an attractive spouse, countless acquaintances over for a party? Or can we be people who are seeking a home full of enemies that you've invited over for dinner to start a relationship with them? A home that has countless prayers echoing through the hallways. A home full of journals that, that speak of your alone time with your father. A home that models Christ in his church. A door open to those who are in need. See, what if we were to be distracted by those heavenly things? Able to tend to, care about, think about our relationship with Christ and others more. What if we were anxious not of the things of this world, but for God and Christ and Jesus and our Savior and the people around us? I think that this would help lead to a beautiful mind transformation. Friends, my encouragement to you today is to not miss out on the maker, on Jesus, on his voice, because we're so caught up in our thoughts of this or that. Take some time to meditate on moments throughout your week when you feel like your scheme of happiness has outweighed your love and admiration for the Father. Jeremiah 2.13, you can flip there or I'll just read it. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let us not be those who have forsaken Jesus to find that our treasure that we thought was secure has been leaking out. What a picture that would be to watch all of the things that we fought for, that we thought about, that we were anxious about, slip out of our fingers. Emma's going to come up and start playing some music, and I want us to think about these thoughts and meditate on them. Praying together around your table for a scheme not to be of happiness today or this week. To not let our faith not outweigh our worry. Our worries cannot keep us down anymore. Our maker is better than that. He's bigger and stronger. If y'all will pray with me and then pray around your tables as Emma starts playing. Lord, we are so thankful that you cared enough about your disciples to see that they were getting it wrong. That they were forsaking you, that they were worried about their lives, about what they would eat, about what they would drink, about what they would wear, about the size of their barn. Lord, correct us when we've done that in our lives. Lord, show us this week in moments that we have let our worry outweigh our faith. Give us the confidence to know that we can work on that, that we can improve our faith, that we can actually silence the worries and anxieties in our mind. Lord, let us be encouragement to one another around our tables as we pray away a spirit of anxiety in the week to come. Lord, we're thankful that you know our hearts, you know those anxieties and worries, and you care about them but you care about our faith more. Lord, we love you, and we just praise the fact that we get to gather and know that you care for our minds. 
And it's in your name we pray. Amen.